0: It’s the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5WESA. I’m Kevin Gavin. Pennsylvania has now been without a budget for one month. The stalemate really focuses on $103 million for school vouchers, but now there appears to be some movement. Stephen Caruso, a Spotlight PA’s state Capital reporter, joins us now. Welcome back to the program, Stephen. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, uh, briefly remind us, the state House and Senate did pass the budget already. Governor Shapiro wants to sign it, but also line item veto one thing. So what's the holdup? Well, the one thing he wants to veto
1: is $100 million for school vouchers. Uh, It's a program that he has said he supported during the campaign trail. They've been called Lifeline Scholarships. It's meant to target uh, low-achieving school districts. And it's also meant to be set up in a way where the school district won't lose money from those students leaving. Um, It was something that uh, some Republicans have also very much supported, I mean Republicans all across the state. Uh, And it came up in budget deals late. Uh, it was included by the Senate who passed the budget with it. This went to the House and the House, now controlled by Democrats, said no dice. So, uh, you know, Shapiro ended up, though he said he supported this on the campaign trail, saying, oh, I'll actually line out and veto it to get House Democratic votes for it. The ha- The Democratic House passed it. And then now the Senate Republicans are basically not c- convening the Chamber to sign the bill. It's a small procedural step. It's normally a nothing thing that no one really thinks about. But because they haven't come back, the bill hasn't gone to Shabiro's desk
0: all right. So before we get to maybe some progress to ending the stalemate, one hundred million in a forty five point five billion dollars budget wouldn't normally be much of an impediment but uh, is it rather the precedent that this might set it is it, i think it's some precedent uh
1: this is certainly a this is new to see this weird procedural step that's constitutionally required but normally no one thinks about sort of be used in this fashion but it's also just without the budget bill being signed there isn't money appropriated so uh billions of dollars for for alcohol treatment, for education, for human services uh, that goes to counties, nonprofit school districts, just can't be sent out without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the running total is something on the lines of like $5.9 billion in payments to all those agencies I've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could lead to problems for them.
0: Senate President Pro Tem Kim Ward had said they would not return to Harrisburg until late September. Now she's indicating they could come back sometime this month?
1: Yes. She said that in public remarks uh, that they don't want to leave Pennsylvania's hanging, that they want to make sure these payments go out because with the budget, we could do that. So we're just kind of waiting to see when they sunshine a day for senators to return. Uh,
0: so what does this mean uh, with the budget unsigned? Who decides how bills get paid? I mean, tax money still coming into the state coffers. So who decides who gets money?
1: It all comes down to state treasurer, a position probably most people don't think about too much, but uh, she'll have the final say. And right now it's Stacey Garrity, a uh, Republican who was elected in 2020. Um, and it's basically like, this is where her office kind of has a time to shine because they're the ones who have to approve every payment. And what they've said is that you know, without a budget bill, we're just going to have to make a case by case ruling. And then there are more bills that kind of enable the budget and there will still be some uncertainty. But getting this actual budget bill that's passed both chambers signed to Shapiro's desk so he can put his final stamp approval on it will, I think, settle a lot of the uncertainty
0: what funding might get held up i mean we're just a few weeks away from the start of men of school in many districts and of course uh, other you know universities going back etc what might get held up and uh, who might get affected Yeah, this is where definitely, I mean, schools are going to be one
1: of the biggest. Uh, You know, they, and it's going to vary school district by school district from the impact because some schools are wealthy and have good tax bases, some don't. I mean, that was the foundation of a a court ruling this year that said we don't put enough education, we, the state, state doesn't put enough money into education, but also counties. Uh, counties get block grants from the state to fund a lot of social services, child welfare, alcohol treatment, um, aging aging services. Uh, those are things that can be impacted, and also nonprofits. So lots of social services can be impacted.
0: All right, Stephen, let's uh, turn to another form of spending that you've been looking into, campaign spending. According to finance reports, some people have been collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars through, quote, Reimbursements, unquote. What is this? Where is this money coming from?
1: Yeah, so uh Pennsylvania's campaign finance laws allow for pretty general descriptions of spending. Uh and some questions have been raised. There's a story that was published with Broad Liberty today. I've been looking in this subject already, that uh the House Democratic campaign committee was handing out lots of reimbursements to uh some of their employees. Now look, I, I think it's really early. It's hard to tell if this mean what this means yet, and that's why we haven't published anything at spotlight yet, but it kind of just raises this concern because in federal law, you actually can't just say, oh, we issued flat reimbursements. You have to specifically say, this is what the money went to. Some other states require this too. But Pennsylvania law is very broad and you can just put down, uh, you paid a credit card bill and not say what that bill paid for. Or you could say, oh, we just reimbursed people without saying, what did you reimburse them for? Right. And it's one of those things that experts who look at campaign finance law say, you should have that because then there's more transparency.
0: Uh, You mentioned the House Democratic Campaign Committee, uh, but do both parties tend to engage in this kind of reimbursement?
1: I haven't looked at Every single campaign committee, but you can find reimbursements everywhere. And in and, and 2019, uh, this issue of unspecific payments was a problem with Republicans, including President pro tempore Joe Scarnati at the time. So it certainly has been abused and used by everyone in politics.
0: Uh, very briefly, Stephen, finally, Spotlight PA investigated similar spending in 2019. Have lawmakers proposed any efforts to tighten campaign finance laws, tamp uh, down on this kind of spending?
1: Oh, they've been proposed, but they haven't moved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephen Caruso is Spotlight PA's capital reporter. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us and for your reporting.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Mary Lee. Thank you, Warren. You guys are great.
0: It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Over the weekend, local Democrats and Republicans selected their nominees for a special election to fill the State House seat that was left vacant by the resignation of Sarah Inamorado, who is the Democratic nominee for Allegheny County Executive. WESA's government and accountability editor, Chris Potter, joins us now. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Always good to be with you, Kevin. All right, Chris, this is one of two hundred three State House seats. Why is there extra significance to this special election?
2: Yeah, I mean, all the special, all the elections are special, but some are more special than <laughs> others, I guess. This one is important because uh, right now, with Sarah Inamirata's, uh stepping down last month, uh, the House is now tied 101 to 101. And uh, you just heard Steve talking a little bit about how much is in flux and in play in Harrisburg right now. This race, uh, if Democrats win it as they Probably should. Uh, They will be able to retake that very slim one seat majority that they have in the House.
0: Before we get to the party's choices uh, to run in this special election, Inamorado stepped down, but she didn't have to. So why did she?
2: Yeah, a lot of people were surprised by the timing of this. Uh, uh, Ms. Murado had said that uh, she would step down if she were elected uh, to co- county executive in November. Um, she took this step when she did. It was July 19th. And the reason for that is under state law, the sort of minimum amount of time you can have uh, between a vacancy coming up and a special election being called is 60 days. Um, and that's exactly what we have here is from July uh, 19th to September 19th. The reason for that is that the House is scheduled to come back September 26th. So you're really minimizing, Democrats are really mis- minimizing the amount of time where uh, you might have the House in session and they are not in the majority. It's going to take a little time, uh, kind of a couple of weeks to to uh, count the ballots, to finalize and certify the results, but it's really all about sort of minimizing the time in which Democrats are not calling the shots in the House.
0: In the Murata was several months into her third term as a representative. Uh, we've talked in the past about progressives and the big role they played in getting her elected especially the first time, are you hearing any I don't know disappointment that she resigned before she had to provided she would win the county exec race?
2: Not, you know I haven't heard um disappointment per se I definitely heard some surprise I know of at least one person who had been considering uh running for her seat but um, the sort of uh expedited timetable by which she did so uh this candidate or this this potential candidate just was not able to sort of get things together but you know a lot of these candidates had been planning after she won the May primary um had been planning to uh put their names into the ring here so so we did have several candidates who were ready to go um and even with the expedited uh timetable really just uh, 10 days, um, they were able to get campaigns going and the party was able to make the choice that it did.
0: All right. So you described that Republicans made their nomination quietly. How so?
2: Yeah, so the Republicans had a different kind of process. Again, because the timetable was so short and because of Republican Party rules about how much kind of lead time they have to give uh, various party officials um, to get together and have kind of a nominating convention, uh, they basically kind of waived that process. And what they had was a much quieter, uh, closed door, I guess, process, you'd call it, where just the kind of top leadership of the Republican Committee of Allegheny County got together and they made their choice. So uh, so two very different processes. Democrats had a, actually a candidate candidates forum uh, uh, last week, and then they had an open uh, voting process that was participated in by over 100 committee people. Uh, Republicans, uh, just a very small uh, number of kind of the officers of the committee uh, made their choice.
0: All right. 21st District includes parts of the city and Millville, Aetna, Reserve and Shaler. Uh, Typically lean Democrats?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a there's a this is a this is a solidly blue district, Um, uh, as we've seen with Sarah Nomorado uh, winning. It was Dom Costa before her, Lisa Bennington before him, Frank Vestela before her. <laughs> uh, basically, as long as I've been around, there has been a Democrat representing this district.
0: All right. So what do we know about the Republican nominee, Aaron Connolly Ottenreith?
2: Yes. Uh, well, Ms. Otten-Reith, uh is the uh, Republican chair for the committee in her uh, hometown of Shaler. Uh, where she's lived for about uh eight years or so um she once ran for state House before uh way back in 20 uh in uh, 2000 um she was living in the South side ran against Bill Robinson the city Democrat mm-hmm. there um she is uh fun to talk to I will have to say um uh, you know and sort of says look I'm 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 not uh, I'm not kind of your typical Republican uh you know there's issues where you know I'm sure Republicans will be as aggravated by me as Democrats she talks a lot about Um, the importance of vocational uh, education, Um, education is a big issue for her. Um, I will say that um, uh, she also is somebody who uh, has posted on her Facebook page. um, She's very suspicious of vaccines, um, believes that they may have uh, health uh, hazards, none of which have really been borne out by the science. Um, She also was in town uh, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th when that uprising was happening at the Capitol. Says she was not at the Capitol itself, basically went to hear Donald Trump and other speakers and then went home. Uh, But, you know, an ardent Trump supporter for sure. Um, So you've kind of got both the yin and the yang with her. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how um, all of that factors into uh, the election on September
0: 19th. All right. Democrats made their nomination over the weekend as well. Quickly, how many people originally wanted this seat?
2: Uh, There were five people who were uh, on the ballot that Democrats uh, chose from. This was a ranked choice uh, voting procedure, so they kind of got to pick their favorites in order. Um, As I said a little earlier, uh, more than 100 folks participated uh, in that selection. These are Democratic committee people, uh, and they essentially um, chose Lindsey Powell. Uh, who uh, is a former uh, staffer for uh, Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto. She serves on the URA board and uh, she holds a position uh, in Innovate PGH, which is a sort of workforce development nonprofit.
0: Uh, Has she said much uh, about what she would like to do as a state rep?
2: Yeah, I mean, she's she's very much in the mode as really all five Democrats were of wanting to continue the Inamorado legacy Um, housing, obviously a very big issue for her and just generally trying to sort of deliver, uh, you know, the kind of progressive
0: solutions for challenges facing facing working class folks. Uh, And finally, and briefly, what does Otten Reith need to do to upset the Democrat in, as you described it, a very blue district?
2: Well, if I knew that Kevin, I'd be making a lot of money as a political consultant, <laughs> and a lot more than I make here. Um, it's a it's a tough it's a tough slog. Um, you know, I, Ms. Ottenreith herself sort of made a joke about, you know, when Jim Roddy became the first Republican county executive, it rained all day. Um, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how he was able to do it, and and she might need a torrential downpour herself. But uh, you know, she is uh, you know on a personal level, very engaging person. Um, and certainly seems to you know want to talk about uh, what she believes in. So, um, it's all about getting out on the doors. Uh, but you know, Democrats very motivated as well. I think there's a lot of excitement about Lindsay Powell really kind of across the spectrum in the Democratic Party.
0: Chris Potter is WESA's Government and Accountability Editor. Thanks, as always, Chris.
2: Kevin, it's been an honor being part of this with you and Mary Lee and Laura. Thank you so much.
0: It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. The Point Park University Board of Trustees has selected its ninth president. Chris Brusalis has served as interim president of the institution since February of this year when Donald Green stepped down after 18 months. Chris joins us now. Welcome to the Confluence and congratulations.
3: Thanks, Kevin. It's good to be here.
0: Uh, You were previously a member of the Point Park Board of Trustees. What interested you in becoming interim and now president?
3: Well, um, I've had a long relationship with Point Park. Uh, actually, Point Park has been one of my clients. I was a longtime CEO and then chairman of a uh, national management consulting firm. We do, did work, large corporate, large institutions, including higher ed. So Point Park was a client of mine over the last 20 some years. And then about uh, five years ago or so, I was asked to join the board and then in the leadership of the board. And, uh, and so uh, that's, that's where I landed now.
0: Uh, well, uh, you mentioned the consulting group of the Hill Group, Inc., uh, management consulting firm. You're also an adjunct professor of management and policy at uh, Carnegie Mellon. Uh, do all these get pushed aside, or are you going to be doing a balancing act?
3: Yeah, I, I have no time for, uh, for the Hill Group, my uh, management consulting firm, anymore, but I am still uh, teaching at Carnegie Mellon uh, one or two nights a week in the uh, fall and the spring, And I enjoy that. And I think it's good to uh, stay engaged in the classroom.
0: All right. One characteristic of Point Park is that it has a a small student body and faculty, about 3,300 students thereabouts. How can the university increase enrollment for the university without losing um, a close-knit environment?
3: Yeah, so um, we we, we feel that... um, we have an opportunity to grow the university and we were we were uh, larger about over 20 percent larger prior to the pandemic and so we're going to do that by um really concentrating and leaning into the things that we're great at and one of the things that i think that we are great at is in the area of arts entertainment entertainment technology and media and we're going to become market leaders in that space. And it really aligns with, you know, being the downtown university. I mean, unfortunately, the um, the office workers aren't going to come back to downtown in droves. And downtowns of the future are going to become centers of arts and entertainment. And that's what we are. And, and that's where we are in the center of downtown. So, you know, in the future, you know, these downtowns are going to be driven by the creator economy. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are good at. So, and that's how we're going to grow.
0: Sorry. Uh, so this is an opportunity to return to pre-pandemic enrollment, or are you looking even beyond that?
3: Yeah, we're looking to uh, to get back to where we were, but but beyond that, and we think we have a great opportunity in order to pull that off and do that. You know, one of our one of our differentiators and in, in ways we're going to do this again, leading into our strengths, is we're going to really uh, commit to industry and community immersed programs that really leverage our strength of being in an urban setting and it's all grounded in experiential learning we think that is our differentiator we believe strongly that adults learn best by doing and so you know in our curriculum we have infused uh the opportunity to do field studies as part of your coursework we encourage students to get internships right off the get-go their freshman year and then we have a cooperative education program we're the only school in this region besides the Swanson School of Engineering at Pitt that offers co-op, where students will leave the classroom for a semester, work full-time for an organization. They'll work full time at High market, PNC, um, and, and not getting, you know, they're getting paid entry-level professional wages, doing very meaningful, important work. And that gives them an opportunity to translate what they learned in the classroom and apply it. And then they come back in the classroom and, and it brings that much richness back to the classroom for themselves and their peers.
0: Sounds like uh, you want to put career readiness at the forefront of the curriculum or even emphasize it more.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Your
0: predecessor, uh, Donald Green, uh, was, from what I understand, very involved with students. How have you connected with the student body since becoming interim president, and how do you plan to now as permanent president?
3: That That's what attracted me to this opportunity. I love working with students. I've been teaching at Carnegie Mellon for 32 years. Uh, that's what this is all about. It's impacting their lives. And I, I think the students uh, uh, see see me and my family uh, almost every day on campus. And we're very engaged and very visible with our, with our students. That is the best part of the job.
0: Where do you want to engage them as you're walking along from class to class, uh, informally, formally? How do you plan to do that?
3: All the above. I mean, I, I see them as they're going to class. Um, I try to pull myself uh, in between meetings out of my office, out of the ivory tower, and, and I'm on the campus. Um, we attend, uh, my family and I attend athletic events. We attend student activities events. We're in the playhouse uh, uh, watching our performances several times a week. Uh, we're in the dining halls. We're eating with them. And, uh, you know, it, it's great. It's all about building community. It's all about uh, engaging in their lives and trying to impact.
0: You mentioned Point Park is, you know, the downtown university. Public safety is a big concern in downtown. Considering Point Park's location, how do you plan to deal with this issue? You're working with city officials. What are you doing to make sure your students, your faculty members are safe?
3: Yeah. So we're, you know, we're doing a lot. We're working with the city. You know, we're blessed. We probably have one of the uh, the finest uh, police departments, our university police department. we are actually one of the first fully accredited higher education police departments. So we have an outstanding police department. We uh, really utilize and leverage technology uh, to prevent things, to to maintain the safety on our campus. Safety is our number one priority here. And uh, we put a lot of resources, a lot of tension uh, to keep our students, faculty, and staff, and friends of the university who are visiting here. Safe.
0: All right. Uh, very briefly, just 20 seconds. Uh, strategic plan is planned for later this year. Give us one point that you'd like to emphasize.
3: Well, uh, we're we're not only going to uh, have high impact for our students, but we are going to be the driver of Renaissance 3 in downtown Pittsburgh. As we grow, as we impact students, we are going to impact downtown in the region.
0: Chris Braselis is the new president of Point Park University. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And for today, that is the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. After a seven-year run, WESA will end production of the Confluence Friday, August 4th. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and tune in this week for our final shows. And next time, Sarah Inamorato easily defeated some well-known opponents to become the Democratic nominee for Allegheny County Executive. How does she plan to take the next step? Thanks to our team, Addison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.